Yo, this place is big. We should split up finding Will. Said no one who survived a horror movie ever. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is our first episode of 2017, and we're going to be talking about uh, one of the horror films from last year that got the most buzz that we didn't get a chance to cover. It's the new newest film from director Nicholas Winding Refn, The Neon Demon. I am J.R. Forsteros. I'm Amanda Forsteros. I'm Moza Haiti. And we are joined today by a special guest, uh, academic podcaster, geek extraordinaire, Kate Sanchez. Kate, welcome to Don't Split Up. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk about my horror feels. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't really have a lot of other avenues to discuss horror, right? No, I mean, not at all. I live in a house with somebody who hates horror, and other than making making virtual friends in like a couple of groups, I have nothing. <laughs> well, we're, so this we're so- is everything. <laughs> Well, in that case, why don't you start us off? Uh, we thought it'd be fun before we dive into the film to to look back at last year and kind of review uh, what like what was your favorite horror film that you saw last year? Or I mean, do you consider that different from the best horror film you saw last year? Oh, that's such a hard question. I would say yes because okay. I have two that I would put in a tie. So, like the best horror film I saw last year was hands down The Invitation mm. for many reasons. Just like because it was uncomfortable, because it was subtle, because the twists and just things that I love so much about it, I think it was really well done. But I think my favorite horror film was definitely Don't Breathe. Um, and I, mm. the reason it's my favorite and not the best is because I think Don't Breathe kind of like rides that line between psychological thriller and horror. But like with me, rating horror is does it make me uncomfortable and does it make me not want to move? And I think Don't Breathe, like, definitely did that. And I didn't know who to root for the whole time. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so, like, just like that, I had, like, moral issues as a viewer as to what I should be supporting until the third act. And I was just like, okay, this is good. And this is my favorite just for, like, the conflicts in my conscience while watching it. Yeah, I feel like that is an accurate representation (laughs) of actually feeling all the feels during that movie yes. because oh, it was gosh, so yeah. conflicting and yeah, yeah that third act you are so right yeah. <laughs> like what it, it it the reason it's my favorite is because it was really brutal like not not mm-hmm. in the visual things but what it does to the viewer mm-hmm. and i yeah. think being able to do that in a film that's what that's what makes it a good thing yeah. especially with horror because you can, it's at least in in a time where everything is, in connect- is connected and you can pretty much research anything, find videos of anything, horror has an increasingly harder job of scaring people and making them uncomfortable. So yeah. I really admire when a film does it. For sure. Well, and just to piggyback off of that, I my favorite film upon reflection, it was definitely Hush, which I had mm. not heard of at all. And Jair was like, yeah, let's let's watch this movie. It's about this girl that's out in the middle of the woods by herself and she's deaf. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh no, this is going to be bad. And I, and I love the slasher genre anyway. So yeah. um, that it it's always unsettling to watch a slasher film. So then to add in this disability where she, I mean, this guy is standing behind her and she has no idea. There's all these different things um, that kind of add call. That. 
Skype call. Oh my God. I was, oh, I was a wreck. <laughs> and she, she was so hardcore, right? Like she was such a yes. fighter. I just really admired her and I was cheering oh, yeah. for her the entire time. So I really, really, yeah, I, I definitely would say hush. Although we did see several foreign films that were also quite excellent. I just yeah. feel like it's a different, um, type of horror when you have to read the subtitles and pay attention to what's going on. Like it's, it's activating different parts of your brain. So sometimes it doesn't feel as scary because you're like trying to play catch up with, you know, the dialogue. Yeah, no, I completely agree there. And I think Hush for me was like, I was going through Netflix one time and I was like, oh, this could be cheesier. It could be good. And then I was like, oh gosh, this is mm -hmm. not what I expected. This is so good. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? I think for me, it was definitely, I mean, transitioning into the shows, shows were what provided my favorite, and it was still Ash versus Evil Dead. Uh, I still have to have my humor in there. It's no secret that I don't like the horror. <laughs> so the, the satire and the you know horror comedy, those are what suit me more. I tried to finally break into American Horror Story and happened to be mm -hmm. home alone. And that first season with the Haunted Mansion next door and the girl... I was like two episodes in before I had to shut that down and switch to cartoons. Yeah. Like it worked too well. Yeah. So Well, don't worry, Mo. The yeah. show gets dramatically worse after that. So No, no. <laughs> I can defend for that. Only only because Coven is amazing. It's not scary I can give though. You that. Coven is definitely scary. See, I've heard mixed reviews on that after the first season. I have friends who love every season. And then I have friends who are like, that yeah. first season was great. I've heard people have good remarks about the Coven season, um, but definitely get mixed reviews post first season. It's different. I think it definitely, it, it it goes it goes into different genres. This is how I defend it as a completely horror show and that can make some people scared, is it genre hops each season. That That's mm -hmm. true. I, I liked Coven. Like, we liked that season. Amanda mm -hmm. and I both did. I just... Yeah. I was never scared by it. I was really? I had fun with it and I enjoyed it, but I, I, was, oh, I was I wasn't super scared. Okay. Now was That's it because scary. it was now was it because it was an all female cast and you cannot form an emotional bond? <laughs> That's definitely true. I, I don't I don't feel that. No. I mean there were moments okay. like like the Minotaur stuff, like there were there were some great moments in it. I never felt scared the way I did in season one. Yeah, I think and that's even, valid. Yeah. Like Why never, wasn't it scary, Jr.? Because you're getting me interested with witches and minotaurs, and yet I feel like this is a trick, <laughs> which I will go to watch this, and I will I mean, be terrified. I didn't think it was particularly scary either. I thought it was more campy, but like still very, very interesting. I don't know. Um, I mean, Stevie Nicks was in it. That was amazing. <laughs> like, is this um, on a level with the old... I want to say 80s film, The Witches, where they turn the boys into rats, because that was horrifying. <laughs> I would say it's more well, like there is the something craft. With the boy, so. oh. oh, definitely the craft. Where, yeah. where there's lots of different, I mean, like there's the mean girls aspect of it, but there's also yeah. like there's genuine witchcraft and stuff that's going on. There's some supernatural so, things. So if you were frightened by the craft, maybe, but I admit whether or not movie. I was frightened by the craft, <laughs> but I can handle a show that is similar. I think for me, the reason I think it was scary is because it dips into some historical baddies and yeah. that's what makes it scary for me. And, and, but I can definitely see why it's not. Um, but we, I, I think it, and the craft is a very particular type of horror genre. And I think this is where this fits in and mm -hmm. not everybody thinks all horror is scary. And I don't think all horror has to be scary. I think mm -hmm. most horror is scary. Just <laughs> <laughs> 
so I think my well, yeah. If we're if we're gonna dip into shows, for me, uh, I would say I would say my favorite horror movie of last year was Green Room, uh, and that's probably because I'm a punk rocker at heart. Like, and I just loved the setup of that and and how it all played out. I just had I had I had a ton of fun watching that movie when it like in the way that you have fun at a horror movie. Um, but then I think honestly the best one the best horror movie I saw last year was The Witch. I feel um, like you have to say The Witch because it was I put it my number one, one. best yeah. movie and best horror movie. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> when I was watching The Witch, it felt like I was looking through a window into the 1600s. I will agree with that 100%. Yeah. I needed subtitles, yeah. I'm not going to lie. But I think that added to the claustrophobia <laughs> and to the alienness of I mean, it was it was all done on purpose and it was all I thought it was just masterfully executed and the whole like you knew, we we did a whole episode on the witch, so you can go back and listen to it if you if, if you missed that. But you know, the whole time, you knew there were real witches. Like you mm -hmm. knew that there was this real yeah. threat, but you know, like somehow still, it almost didn't matter if there were real witches. Like no, the family that was, was not terrible. the horror, right? Yeah. yeah, and and so and then it was though too, right? Yeah. I mean, like at the end, it, oh, so gosh. Yeah. I love that. I love that it worked that way. And I, I love that sense of horror that just like frontier life in New England brought with it. Um, that film took a while for me to digest. And I was not a fan when we initially saw it, mostly because it was not the film I anticipated. But the more I've thought about it and the more I reflect on it, I mean, it was horrifying for a multitude of reasons. Not the ones I, I thought it was going to be horrifying for. But I it, would be interested, Mo, film. if you went back and rewatched it, how you would react to it now. It's actually a film I think I could rewatch too. I don't think you lose on that film. Yeah, um, but but honestly, I have to my my shout out to my favorite horror thing of the year. It was the Exorcist TV show. Um, Ooh, man, I yes. just thought it was tremendously good and super scary. Oh, so scary! Uh, there were multiple yeah. times every episode that I was deeply disturbed. I thought the payoff. Um, there was a, if you see, I'm not going to spoil the series, but if you know what I'm talking about, there's a, there's something that happens in episode eight of 10. And I was like, come on, give me a break. Like, this is like, what are they going to do with these last two episodes? And then I thought they totally made it work and paid it off. Mm -hmm. And I was really see, surprised. Yeah, no, I, I was with it until that thing that you're talking about. I have not seen the last two episodes cause it got too weird for me. So I would be, I, we had the exact same, actually all of us talked about like, oh my gosh, like blah, 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 like, blah. and then like Amanda and I both felt that the last two episodes were totally worth it. Super strong. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even, so um, I guess the initial episode where the thing happens, yep. the two after that are good. Yeah. Because I thought that episode was pretty weak. It was, it, the payoff for me wasn't there, but okay. I'll have to go yeah. back. I'll have to watch those because I think because it was so well done, especially with the dueling exorcist styles. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh man. That all, that Exercising all. with so compassion. Yes. Compulsion. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that we really awesome. want to do a whole episode on that series plus the original film uh, because I'm I, free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There's just so there's so much to talk about with that, and that's why I love. That's why it was my favorite thing of the year. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad Mo, you you went into TV, so because let me talk about the Exorcist. So, uh, you, Jr., you said it was horrifying, and that you were horrified in every episode. It's no secret that possession is like your key to being scared. Is that why it was horrifying, or is the show actually horrifying? 
I mean, so here's the thing, like when they got into all, there were, there were, they were, they actually got pretty deep into like demonology and stuff like that. Like there is a whole group of people who are possessed by demons on purpose and like working with demons to like do bad things in the world. And so they have conversations about what demons are and what they want and all this kind of stuff. And I don't actually like believe that that's how any of that works. Uh, even though in my worldview, I allow for po the possibility of possession and things like that. So even even despite that, even though it didn't like, you know, align with how I think these things work in real life, um, I was still scared by it. Hmm. I thought it was just well done. It was shot well. The effects were great. The It was all super character driven, which I think is what made it yeah. work. So mm -hmm. I think for me that anything with exorcism gets me because I grew up Catholic and I remember fighting. <laughs> I remember fighting with my mom and the first thing she would say, you're fighting with me, you're letting the devil in. You know what happens mm -hmm. when the devil gets in. And I'm just like, oh my God. So now anytime I watch anything with possession, I think back to like those old, very scary childhood memories mm -hmm. <laughs> when my mom would say that and there would just coincidentally be like something happened that is totally explainable, <laughs> but like 10 year old me was like just scared and hit under the covers. Um, I mean, cause I'm not Catholic now, but that still has a very big foothold on what, you know, pushes my like, oh my God, I need to like turn this I have to also give a quick <laughs> shout out to the Korean horror film, The Wailing, mm -hmm. which uh, came yes. out last year on, the net, on Netflix. It has an amazing exorcism scene in it mm -hmm. that is like yes. super not Western at all and insane and awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, oh. Speaking of that, I would like to give a shout. Can we can we do like a foreign yeah. shout out thing? Yeah, because sure, I totally agree with Amanda. Like they're totally their own thing. Mm -hmm. But somebody else go before me because I have to get the name right. What was your favorite foreign film we watched this year? Oh man, film? I mean, I would probably have to say The Wailing. Really, it was so good, it, and it kept you guessing literally until the very end. Yeah, that was what was interesting. Like we felt like we didn't understand Korean traditional culture, culture. enough mm -hmm. to really know what was going on in the movie, but we knew enough to follow it. So it just made it completely unpredictable. Yeah. Well, and we spoke with our, our friend, Jen, who is Korean afterwards, and we were sharing about all of this different stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, there are so many layers. I could have given you an <laughs> ongoing commentary the entire time and told you about all of this different stuff. And so we were like, OK, noted. Rewatch with Jen. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> so you liked it more than Under the Shadow? <sighs> Yeah, okay. because I like the Babadook better okay. than Under the Shadow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking forward uh, to watching those two films. Oh, I'm so sad. I have to watch it again. It's so scary. Uh. One of our friends actually has one of the original. Uh, so I guess the, I don't, one of the authors or one of the, the writers of the Babadook created the book, the Babadook, uh, and hand painted every single page with all the pop-ups and everything. There's only like 200 in the world. And one of our friends got them, got the book. Yeah, our friends oh, Amanda God. and Philip. I couldn't and have I got it to in my look house. through it. It was horrifying. I was so scared once I got to the end that when I came home that the Babadook book was going to be sitting there or that he was gonna attack me in my sleep. And it didn't happen thankfully, but it was really, really cool to look through all of it. I would be constantly like trying to burn it or like be scared to burn it because it might come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Oh, that's... so what's uh, what film gets your shout out, Kate? The Silenced. 
Um, it's it's J horror, um, which I'm actually a huge fan of Asian horror. That's what started. Um, well, not started, but kind of revamped my interest in horror, especially with like. Um, I guess those are more psychological horror, but like old boy, Lady Vengeance, stuff like that. That really got me into watching stuff like this um, as well as Thirst. But The Silence is a uh, – I think it's 2016. Sorry, I had to Netflix it. Oh, so it's actually a 2015 movie, but I watched it in 2016, so I want to make yeah, it Yeah, it counts. Totally counts. <laughs> and it is – it's directed by Hae Young Lee. Actually, oh, it's a Korean movie. Okay, it's a Korean movie. That's why I thought it was Japanese. So it's a Korean movie. It's a boarding school during the Japanese occupation. And so they force all the girls to speak Korean. Oh. And um, it's pretty much like oh, I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but you have a, 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 a Korean boarding school where they're under Japanese occupation. The Japanese military is running some exper experiments on the girls and things happen. Um, oh, it's on Netflix. So yeah, you, you should just watch it. I don't, I can't really say anything cause they'll give it away. Um, mm -hmm. but definitely uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, oh, I loved it. Loved it so much. I just awesome. couldn't remember the name cause I know there's a movie called silence out by Scorsese and I did it. Right. Yeah. And I was like, wait, is that just that movie getting into my brain or is that actually <laughs> the name of this horror movie right now? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so the silenced. Watch Mo, did, Mo, did you watch any foreign films this year? I Are don't you... watch them unless we have to. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm super excited for you to see Under the Shadows since you are Persian. I am as well, actually. Until I found out it was like the Babadook, and then I also have to watch the Babadook. Without... <laughs> <laughs> Mo, it's a it's a horror film about gin. Which I, I mean, that's where you hooked me. I'm not gonna lie. The moment you mentioned <laughs> that, I was in. I know I know how to pull your strings. But I still feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm being tricked. <laughs> so so real quick, there are a ton of awesome horror films that are coming out this year. And this is just the list of things that have been announced. There's always some amazing indie stuff that drops and kind of comes under the radar that we have to find. But um, is there a film that you're really most excited about this year coming out in the in the horror genre? I'm going to be honest. I have never seen the original It. So I'm super excited about the new one because either way, oh, they're both going to be so scary because clowns are horrifying. Ugh, I, uh, I hate to agree, but I'm with Amanda on that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're getting a lot of like little like little Kate psychology right now. But like I totally refuse. I totally refused to shower for like two weeks after watching the original. Hit. I was terrified. Because um, we all float down here. Oh, don't say that. Just don't. <laughs> it's a movie I cannot watch to this day um, because it just, yeah. So I'll have to force myself to watch the new one. Well, and Tim Curry is the original one, right? He's just a horrifying person in general. And then you throw clown makeup oh, on gosh. him and it's like, oh, no, that's bad. Yeah. Bears. I think, yeah, I think about my early exposure to Tim Curry and it was it. And then the devil, the devil figure from, uh, what is it? Uh, Legend? Oh yeah, uh -oh. <laughs> Mo. I'm yeah. I'm honestly real uh, surprised you didn't say Resident Evil 35. Resident Evil 70th. I feel like I'd be beating a dead horse. So when you say <laughs> anticipated horror film, I usually use the word uh, dreading instead of anticipated. <laughs> and it is the film that I am dreading. Um, obviously, Resident <laughs> Evil 
seven, the final chapter, hopefully not actually <laughs> seven, the final eight, chapter. Seven. Will be virtual high five. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I love that series Absolutely, because it's amazing. Yes. Now we have a couple of unbelievers here. Oh, I'm definitely well, an unbeliever. Clearly, that, that will not be just the best movie in horror, but the best movie of 2017. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot take, folks. Oh, <laughs> Literally, no one else is saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think. I'm kind of torn because The Ring is the movie that has scared me the most ever in my life. And mm. we have a Rings sequel coming out mm -mm. in February. But it got pushed back. But it's probably not going to be great. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I really want that to be great. But I'm just sort of bracing myself to be really disappointed. Um, so, actually, probably, if I'm being honest, my my most anticipated this year is the Cloverfield project coming out at the end of October because it's set in space and space horror. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I it, can it, see narrowly, that. it narrowly beats out Alien Covenant for my most anticipated space horror of the year. So yeah. I am excited for Covenant. Mine is the Bye Bye Man because not because it's going to be good, but because I want it to effectively kill this Slender Man trend. <laughs> that it is for the only reason. But other okay. than that, um, uh, split with James McAvoy because I love serial killers and anything mm. that has to do with those things. So, Mo, do you want to give us your hot take on Split? Which is the new M. Night Shyamalan film. Yeah. It's a schizophrenic <laughs> werewolf. Don't be impressed. I'm bored already. <laughs> oh, Mo is such a hater. Oh. He is not. It's but you like the visit, okay. Mo. All right, let's not put words in Mo's mouth. I didn't hate the visit. It was the first M. Night Shyamalan movie in a while that just didn't completely shit the bed. But I still am not a fan of M. Night Shyamalan. He's got a long way to go to redeem himself. I still remember when Marky Mark was running away from grass. I won't forget that for a very long time. My unpopular oh, horror opinion is that I love that movie. And my partner is actually a botanist, so he makes fun of me all the time. <laughs> so. As he should. Thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, there were two movies that I saw that actively made me mad as I watched them because they were so dumb and bad. Um, <laughs> well, I have a feeling I probably liked both of these. The first one was The Darkness, which was this Kevin Bacon movie. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. Like, oh, God, no. It was actively horrible. Oh, yeah, with the Googling. <laughs> yeah. Where he Googled about all of this mm. stuff. Yes, yeah, that was real bad. Um, that's like one of my all-time pet peeves in horror movies is when they, like it used to be that they'd have to go talk to a priest or a, a dusty academic in a university or something. Now they just type in like weird bruises wolf yeah. and it's like, this ancient Native American tradition. Uh, like that, there was like a full edited YouTube video that they found. That Not going to lie, as an academic, that made me mad. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're taking your jobs, right? Yeah. They took my like, job. It's, it's already frustrating enough when kids bring Google research into your classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's happening in the horror films. So, yeah, that movie, it just was dumb on every level. Like, I hated it so much. Um, every time I see the poster of it, I get mad again that I watched it. Um, I also recently watched 31, which was the Rob Zombie clown movie. Yeah. Go figure. So, Rob Zombie bad. film was bad. Well, so here's the thing. No. I had never actually seen a Rob Zombie horror film other than the, the Halloween remake, which was like 
fine. Yeah. It wasn't good, but yeah. it was not great. It was pretty bad. That House of a Thousand Corpses yeah. was really terrifying. Yes. Even though it was torture porn, it was really, really scary and unsettling. I'm totally with you, Amanda. And I think Devil's Rejects is Thanks. really good, too. All of his stuff, I feel like, relies mm-hmm. so much on the torture porn aspect. I've not seen a lot of them from start to finish, but that's like his wheelhouse. And that just yeah. I, that doesn't seem creative to me. Like, I get it. It's, it's disconcerting to see someone be disemboweled or eaten or, like, horribly killed, like, I don't, that doesn't. That's not creative horror to me. I think that's half the reason I don't enjoy those films, and it's disgusting. Thirty-one felt like I was watching a video game that someone tried <laughs> to make into a movie, and not in a good way. Like all of the, it was basically this group of this like traveling circus that only has six people in it gets kidnapped and put in this thing on Halloween where they get hunted and they they people are betting on them to try to survive, and they have to like go up against all of these characters that are clearly like video game bosses that someone just thought of they have like there was a little person who was a nazi for some reason and there was uh there were twin clowns who had chainsaws and they had they were called like psycho face and crazy eyes or something sounds like Like, running man yeah and (laughs) then like there was and then like literally there's a part where like there's two or three survivors left and they're like, well, who should we get? Should we get monster face? No, not monster face. What about smash head? No, not smash head. What about creepy head? No, not creepy head. Oh, let's go with doom head. And everyone's like, yeah, doom head. He's the best head. And I was like, like all of the dialogue felt, I don't know, really, really dumb and bad and horrible, like all the way through the movie. Hmm. So it wasn't good at all. Like it was, yeah. I, oh. I got a lot of buzz and I was like, why do people like this? I don't understand it at all. Because it was, it had zombie attached to it. That's like the only okay. reason. And then anybody that watched it was like, oh God, the, you should have stopped where you should have stayed in retirement. Like you said you were going to do. All right. Well, uh, with, without any further ado, we should talk about the film of the day. Uh, Neon Demons. Don't split up. Uh, I'm curious, Kate, uh, did you have much history with Nicholas Wending Refn before this film? Oh, you know, I just saw this little movie called Drive. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty much my uh, my exposure to him. And I mean, one, I love Gosling and I love Carrie Mulligan and I loved Drive. Um, so I knew visually Neon Demon was going to be stunning, but I really wasn't sure about anything going into it just based off him. Like only thing I could tell from uh, NWR was that it was going to be really pretty. Speaking of NWR, did it weird anyone out that during the opening credits, his like monogram just stayed in the middle of the screen? Yeah, a little bit. Maybe he's the neon <laughs> demon. Yeah, that could be. But <laughs> uh, what about you? Oh, any any history oh, with with him? I had none. I had no idea what to expect with this film, and I'm still not sure what happened in this film, <laughs> but. Going into it, I, I had zero, zero ideas. I knew slight. I knew I was in for a weird ride, just based on what you and Amanda had said and what Stacy had said after she saw it. I was the last to see it of the bunch, um, but no. I, Amanda, Amanda just true. watched it last night. I just night. watched it last night. I'm a big old slacker. Oh, that's face. right. It was just between you and Stacy. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hadn't seen Drive. I wasn't aware of the director. Neon Demon was completely new to me. I'd never even seen a trailer before I watched the um, film. So. I had seen Drive and I feel I feel like the film made me feel stupid because I didn't get it. <laughs> like I, after it was over I was like, "Huh, 
that was really pretty. Like obviously the the cinematography, all of that was was beautiful, but I just didn't get it. And I think I was just really uncomfortable because Gosling normally plays like a very fun, not even lighthearted, but just like funny comic relief, like has really good dialogue. Anyway, and it was just, it was very jarring to see him in a different role. Um, but it was interesting. I just felt dumb because I didn't get it. Um, I, I can completely sympathize with you there, Amanda, because that's what I was telling JR about this film, like visual storytelling and metaphors. That's not my wheelhouse. Like I was a literature major. I need words. I understand books. And I was, I was not in my element for this film. And so I think it kind of threw me off. Well, and the only other thing I had heard was, didn't he do Only God Forgives as well with Gosling? So I had yeah. just heard that that film was terrible. Like, that, that was just really atrocious. dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty. Yeah. So so I, I went in with kind of low hopes, or like low expectations, high hopes. So I heard tons of buzz about this movie. It dropped in like April or May, I think. Mm -hmm. And all these critics that I follow were like, wow, like, you know, front runner for best horror film of the year, blah, 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 blah. And, and again, all, all I really knew about Nicholas Winning Refn was that he's like a visual filmmaker, like mm -hmm. script, very light on the script, very light on plot, all about like the, the, the visual experience. And so, yeah, I had no idea what to expect going into Neon Demon. I, I, I tried to get to the theater to see it and I just didn't make it, which now I'm, I'm pretty bummed because I think it would have looked amazing on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. But I just said that I found out it was on Amazon Prime and it was probably what night Amanda was at roller derby or something. I was like, oh, I'll just pop this in, you know, see what see what uh, what happens. And I like I'm normally the kind of guy that if I'm watching a movie at home, like I'm playing on my phone or whatever, just kind of half paying attention. And man, like from that opening scene, I couldn't look away. Mm -hmm. I was just so and I, again, I'm not usually one who pays attention to shot composition and cinematography and all that kind of stuff. Like I, that's why I love talking to film people because they can point that stuff up and kind of kind of help me watch the movie through their eyes and in this film I, it was just like so well done i couldn't ignore it yeah so absolutely. there were there were multiple scenes i wanted to like pause and print out and like hang on my wall because they were just yeah. gorgeously composed um kate was telling me you were telling me before the episode apparently the director's uh, colorblind yeah which is so fascinating yeah. Especially since his use of color in the film really kind of it, it does things. And I don't know if it counts as a spoiler, but just to be safe, I won't say it. Okay. Um, well, so we should, we should mention too that uh, this is the first time he and the cinematographer on this film have worked together. I'm looking up her name right now. Mm -hmm. um, but she is, she's a female cinematographer. And I, man, it was just, her work was amazing. Like this movie... Yeah. looked so good like that was why i couldn't wait to watch it again because i just couldn't believe uh her name is natasha uh brayer okay i so. i could honestly say that i would never put this on any of my top lists for anything except for the fact that i would watch it again just because it's beautiful just to look at it. i can't mm -hmm. wait to hear more about that so uh before we dive into uh to spoilers would you recommend this film to a horror fan no okay <laughs> i don't think i would either it's not horror in the traditional sense of horror um it's i still don't know how to describe it it's like an it, yeah. abstract uh portrayal of i don't know how we view beauty and i i I don't, I don't know. 
I, I don't think I would recommend it as a horror film, no. Would you recommend yeah, it at all? I second that. Also, well, yeah, I probably would recommend it. Yeah. Given okay. the circumstances. Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely would. Um, I would just, yeah, I would recommend it, just not as a horror movie, but I would recommend to watch it just because I think it's, it's really, it's really striking. Um, but I will also say that my first exposure to what the movie was was a friend posting, thanks for wasting like an hour and a half of my life. <laughs> so Two hours. Um, it was a long I, movie. Well, I was going to say, that must it mean was there's a long 30 movie. minutes in there they liked. <laughs> probably. Probably. Well, but yeah, no, I, and I think that that's kind of like the reaction I've seen. It was either I loved it or it was terrible. I could see that. Well, and you guys kind of stole exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I definitely wouldn't classify it as horror and we actually had to stop the movie halfway through um, and go do some stuff and then came back and finished it. And at the halfway point when we stopped it, I was making a list in my head of people that I needed to watch it with so that we could discuss <laughs> it, not having seen the end, obviously, but all of the people on that list don't like horror. So I had already, again, without spoilers, there wasn't as much of like the grotesqueness or whatever that we deal with in the end. But I, I knew that no matter what, I, I, I think that it's a great film for discussion. So I'm glad that we're discussing it. And also I think that it would be a really interesting, like to have a, a, a class on it, you know, like have everyone watch it and then kind of dialogue about it. So it's funny mm, yeah. you said you had to take a break during that film because I also had to take a break. I was watching it late at night. I hadn't realized it was so long. And I started to get tired, and I realized with that film, there was not a movie I wanted to power through. I wanted to watch it while I was awake. So I stopped it, and the next evening, I was actually hanging out with my younger sister, who does not like horror films, and I'm describing it to her. I'm like, hey, we can watch a movie after this. I've got like 30 minutes left. I was like, it's not a horror film, as I've already said on this show. And so we start it right from where it becomes a horror show. (laughs) 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 So... My sister is looking at me the entire time like, what part of this isn't horrifying to you? And I'm like, well, you missed the first hour and a half. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I had no argument for her. So it, even though I said I wouldn't classify this as a horror, I mean, it definitely takes a dark turn. Um, yeah. I would say and it I was think- like a thriller or something, which I know a lot of times thrillers can be classified yeah. as horror as well. I don't know. It, it was really interesting. I well, definitely would say the third act is the best, though. Oh, for sure. Definitely the most yeah. intense. I mean. Yeah. So I would I would unabashedly qualify this as a horror film, and I would definitely recommend it. Like, it, it was my number two horror film of the year. So um, for me, I, I also have a very broad definition of horror. Uh, for me, a horror movie is anything that kind of explores, like, the limits of our humanity or especially, like, the darker parts of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I thought there were things all the way through this movie that I found really just disturbing and terrifying. Um, uh, so I don't want to say too much about getting into spoilers, but yeah, I would, I would recommend it. And I would probably explicitly tag it as a horror movie for the sake of people who might, if I said, oh no, it's just like a, it's just kind of a critique of the fashion industry. I think there would be people that would watch it. (laughs) <laughs> and then get to the third act and be like, what am I seeing? Whereas I'm going say, hey, it's a horror movie. Like, there's some assumptions built into, like, labeling it that that I think would help some people, like, decide whether or not they would be able to handle this film. Yeah. yeah I can so, appreciate that. Yeah. But I was I was horrified <laughs> also. So. I would uh, say on that note, we have to jump into spoilers, yeah, let's jump into spoilers and you just okay. take it off. 
Here we go. So let's uh, let's. Uh, uh, so if you haven't seen the Neon Demon, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, you should definitely go see it. Um, it sounds like we all recommend it. Maybe just not all recommend it as a horror film. So come back and join us for the spoilers for the Neon Demon starting right now. Don't split up. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um. All right, Kate, lay it on us. <laughs> okay, so I I don't want to take anything away from anyone, but I start. At, so okay, so opening scene beautiful striking obviously like the use of blood kind of got me into thinking okay this is going horror and then it kind of it goes down a little bit and it's kind of really slow and then you have the part where she is she gets picked by the designer to wear that dress Mm -hmm. and she starts like making out with herself in the mirror and i was like oh my god i know what this is this is the this is the narcissist tale Mm. And from right there, I was hooked. Okay, so so uh, unpack that a little bit in case it's been a while since high school oh. mythology class. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Narcissus is the tale of this really, really beautiful person who falls in love with their own reflection and ends up drowning um, and ends up dying as a result of it because he sees himself in the water and then falls in and dies, um, which I think is is which so when i appreciate this movie the only reason i appreciate this beauty this movie for its beauty and its story is when i think of the narcissist tale um so are you are you saying you sort of read this as a like contemporary retelling of narcissus oh yeah okay okay i would definitely agree with that because to me it was the same thing um not so much that she fell in love with her own beauty but the fact that she finally succumbed to the I don't want to pick the wrong word here. She recognized her beauty. Exactly. She came in and her power at the beginning was the fact that she was innocent. She was perfectly beautiful. She was from the outside. She hadn't succumbed to like LA's, you know, darker side. And as she gets further along that road, uh, she finally embraces that when, you know, specifically at that diner scene with the, um, the designer and she kicks, she's like, tells the boyfriend, you know, fine. Then if you want to go, go. And she stays. And that's like that pivotal point. And from there, like, she spirals out of control and it's because she's no longer the person she was when she first showed up. Yeah. Well, and no, you can I, even tell that in the way that she dresses in the way she yeah. carries herself, like her shoulders are at the beginning are more hunched. Like when she's doing the interview and everything, it's all very innocent. And then after a while, the nervous her smiles are gone. Yeah, Her shoulders become more broad. She makes a lot more eye contact and kind of scowls rather than smiles. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think too, I think what did it for me, because I, of course, I'm, I'm watching this and this is what I'm thinking about. And I'm like, okay, well, is the director aware of this? And then you have that scene on the diving board where mm-hmm. she's like, so what that I'm beautiful? Like it should, you know, people want to be that. Then she has that like monologue, that really short monologue on the diving board mm-hmm. over the pool. I'm just like, okay, this is exactly what it is. I like something bad's going to happen now. And then it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it goes very badly. <laughs> very badly. <Yes. laughs> So. so what did you do? Uh, yeah, so, so we have this, you know, she, she, you know, because she basically falls in love with herself, she gives into narcissism, you know, the, or, uh, you know, she is, she is destroyed, like she dies, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it, I think it matters how she dies. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, cannibalism. So, yeah. And so, I mean, again, obviously on one level, level, there's this idea of like, the film is critiquing our beauty industry and it opens with this girl who is dead eyed posed as dead. And we are looking through the camera. 
I thought even uh, Dean, who we later find out is kind of her boyfriend, like the first look he, he gives was her creepy. Is yeah, really scary. So you know, scary. so you have this like male gaze right from the beginning, like demeaning her, uh, objectifying her, and she's like dead eyed, glassy, you know, whatever. You have that first scene in the bathroom where you know uh, Ruby takes her to the rave and she meets Gigi and Sarah. And they're like, oh, you look good enough to eat. And the mm-hmm. lipstick is called Red Rum, which is, you know, the callback to The Shining, murder, right? And uh, it's in there. And then it, it sort of ends up where she is consumed by the fashion industry in, yeah. in a very literal way. So, I mean, there's that going on, too. But I don't know. I was, I was, I was, I think, mostly captivated. Like, her, her journey didn't – I was like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seeing that a hundred times. But, like, I think I was more fascinated by the trio of women. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Ruby, Gigi, and Sarah, and how they each respond to her and sort of what their motivations were for killing and consuming her. Well, it's like um, you said, Jared. I mean, they absolutely objectify her, whether it's the female body or just beauty in general. Uh, it's a commodity that can be consumed, and it's got a shelf life. Yep. And they're all concerned with how to extend that, you know, how, how do I get more life right. out of this? Right. Yeah. Why do you think so? She she basically has a confrontation. Jesse does with each of those girls. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But Sarah, her confrontation with Sarah, who Sarah is the one who's aging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Sarah is the one who's aging out. Gigi's the one who's fake, right? She's been through so much plastic surgery, and then yeah. Ruby's the one who's not like she's part of the industry. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. not a model. She's the makeup person. Um. So her confrontation with Sarah happens before her transformation, right? It's when yeah. she gets she gets chosen to walk the show, and Sarah's in the bathroom. She breaks the mirror. Um, Jesse comes in and is like, "I thought, you know, I thought you were great, honest." And you know, Sarah's like, "Don't do that." And then she sucks her yeah. blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, drink your blood now. Uh, but then the other two happen. I mean, her confrontation with Gigi is in the restaurant with the fashion designer. Um, and it's like explicitly, he is just, he is eviscerating Gigi in front of everyone. And then specifically praises Jesse. And she just like sits there and is like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. And then of course the one with Ruby is, is when she goes to Ruby's house to get away from Keanu and well, she does have a confrontation with Gigi, too, at the beginning, before the fashion show, when she's sitting in her seat and oh, all yeah. of that. But, yeah. She has several with Gigi, I would say that. She goes toe-to-toe with her quite a few times. She, Even yeah, in the bathroom. She the most with Gigi. From yeah. the first meeting when she said, you know, she's explaining all the things she's done. And <laughs> Aren't your parents <laughs> dead? That must be hard. And I was yeah, like, she's like, is that a yeah. good thing? And then she goes straight to the parents. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I think I think Gigi right off the bat kind of clocks her as somebody that's is is immediate like an immediate threat I guess yeah, where absolutely. everybody else like comes into knowing that for different reasons obviously. Well, because Sarah even says um, at one point in time, you know, girls like this come and go all the time. Like exactly. Gigi's the only one. Yeah, who don't worry about it. As yeah. a threat, they specifically say she's not special yet. Yeah. Yes. I also think too, like what this does, I mean, because you kind of mentioned the male gaze, um, but I also think it also has, it, it also really factors into how women interact with each other, um, working through these like really, I guess through the male gaze itself, it kind of makes us think that we have to be, we have to be young, we have to be feminine, we have to be pretty, we have to have, you know, 
this size this this size that um but i think it i think the biggest thing here was the women's interaction with each other oh. and i think that's what was highlighted totally over because i mean you have a few really creepy scenes like where the guy like rubs gold all over her body and i was like this is this is really uncomfortable to watch mm -hmm. um but i think overall like it's the women interacting with each other and how detrimental like it, it it goes back to that like whole thing like breaking women down like competing with women as opposed to bringing each other up because mm -hmm. um, this this could have gone very differently had they all helped each other right well and all of those um, compliments and everything that they were giving to each other it was very much yes. a backhanded like oh yeah you that's just what you say as opposed to actually being encouraging and you know yeah yeah. And I think that's I think that's where the critique came from was like that's what this industry or the commodification of women's bodies does. It right. makes us to where we fight. And right. or we have, you know, we will do whatever we have to do to be better. And in this case it was cannibalizing right. a person. <laughs> and you only team up if it helps you. Like you're never exactly. going to put yourself out there unless it's going to somehow benefit you. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> Uh, Mo, what you were, it sounded like you were going to say something about the scene with Jack, the photographer. I was going to say, I think that goes back to the objectifying because that scene, the way they set it up, the way he asked for the clothes set after studying her, they mm -hmm. set it up as if it was going to be some type of like sexual moment. Like maybe he was going to take advantage of this girl. He knew she was younger, et cetera. And then he very much just used her as a tool. It's like she wasn't there. Like he studied her as an object he created a new object and then he photographed that it was like, he never really oh, yeah. saw her as a human or a female. Um, and I just thought it went back to the objectifying because with the lipstick, I think they kind of set up two different things. It's either sex or food. So it's either, you know, you're mm -hmm. something to be valued for sex or it's a consumable. And those are the two, I think things that I focus on in this film. Um, yeah. And with the male perspective, it's the sex. With the females, it's the consumption of beauty. It's how do I extend that shelf life? And so you have the people like Keanu. Um, Ugh, he was who, so creepy. Oh, that was, they're oh, God. Objects for sex. I mean, he literally, he breaks into that room as yeah. if they're not people. Um, you have the photographer who doesn't really see a person. He doesn't talk to her. He doesn't walk her through anything. He's just demanding that she do things. And he expects for her to do that because this isn't, you know, a co-worker this is an object he's shooting um so i yeah, i don't know it was just kind of a weird scene it was deeply disturbing um but it was also one of the more beautiful scenes in the film when they walk into that all-white backdrop and it's seemingly like an endless yeah it looks like uh, they're floating yeah yeah yes it was it was also, that was that was one of the scenes i wanted to print out like it was staggeringly beautiful yeah and so it was just, it, really was. it was awkward for a bunch of reasons. And you have like a, so many different thoughts were going through my head. It's one of the, I don't know, it was part, one of the biggest parts of the movie where I was like, do I even understand what I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree there. And I think one of the main reasons too is like when you first, when the camera first comes in on that scene, like the model is like the, the first model that we see on the black backdrop on top of the white one, she's not moving. She's not changing poses, but you have the camera flashes going over and over and nobody is moving. Like it's, everybody's just completely still and i'm just kind of like whoa i don't know what's happening here. <laughs> yeah for sure for sure uh so does it matter you know mo you you brought up the 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 rule that they established right at the beginning right you're either sex or food and she we learn at the end is explicitly a virgin yeah 
Yeah. And so it, is it is it somehow trying to say that because she refuses to like commodify herself for sex, she's going to be consumed by the industry? I don't know. Like I I didn't really see and I it seemed to me that they presented she only had two options and both were going to lead to disaster. And yeah. one is she allowed her sense her allowed herself to be used as an object for sex and that was Keanu's path. Um, or she allows herself to be consumed by the industry and that led to her, you know, ultimate demise regardless. It was like a lose-lose situation is the way I read it because she I lost think, that innocence. It was my, you know, the way I perceived it. Like one of the things to point out too is like, it's not just the man, the men that are sexual, like, come on, Ruby. Like yeah. Ruby is very sexual. Like and I think to give sexuality just well. to the men is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Ruby gets probably closer than Keanu. Like Ruby is very close to raping her. Yeah. Like, well, it is, so does it matter? And I would, would say it is. Go ahead. I mean, it was sexual assault. So yeah, I mean, it was. Oh yeah. Does it does it matter that Ruby is on the industry side instead of the model side? For for that reason, right? Like everyone yeah. keeps asking, "Who yeah, are you sleeping true. with?" Right? And yeah. she's no one. We know by her own admission, she's not sleeping with anybody. Yeah. Um, it is but that maybe last denial of sex that ends up. Like that happens right before, you know, the, the big climax, right? So let me, like, let me throw this out there and see what happens. Um, maybe the food sex dichotomy is only true after her fall. Mm. I, hmm. I don't know. It's I almost like they show the sex as it's a safe haven. It, yeah. It's, if she would have linked like, up with that will get you fired, that'll help but, you. But 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 that's what I'm saying. Like she is confounding all of that because like everyone is saying the only way you can be here is if you're sleeping with somebody. But we know yeah. that she's not because she has this sort of like pure virginal like power. But then as soon as she like recognizes that and starts to own it. Is when she she kind of ends up like trapped into. I guess what I'm trying to say is like it seems like the critique of the film is we've built this whole culture where the male gaze is running everything, and women get to be either food or sex. And while she doesn't buy into that, she is powerful because she keeps exploding those categories. It it she she keeps having success without playing by those rules, but then like after that scene where she but that's because she's buys into it right yeah. but once she and also, conforms and the fact that she's a virgin doesn't happen until the very end right like she she only admits that it's a lie when she's saying no to ruby well right. you pretty much get that from the beginning in that bathroom scene it's i i felt it was fairly apparent no, I think it was. Like, but, uh, but then you also have like Christina Hendricks' character who explicitly says, "People believe what you tell them." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, whether she's—I mean, she's not really embodying her virginity. She's True. just saying, like, she she's pushing it away in with the other girls. And then she has the switch where she's like, then she, or she she tries to find power in that. And I think he, I think, um, 
uh, NWR does really well with the color in that because he plays red and blue off of each other. So like red is like whenever something bad happens or whenever she's falling that you see red, but then you have that entire, and then you have blue whenever she's for her innocence and you have those in, in those, in those spots with Dean or like that entire, um, their first date on that cliff side, it's all blue overtones. And then you have when she comes back to the hotel and she, before she finds the, uh, the mountain lion in her room, it switches to red. Like the whole, it switches from a normal color yeah. to having a red overlay. No, that's true. Every time she's danger. presented with, you know, LA or what's on going on around here, it's the red lipstick. It's the blood on her exactly. wrist it's when Ruby. she's in the bathroom. It's Ruby. It's yeah, Ruby. Constantly presented with these. That's great. Yeah, and then even too when after she has that after she denies Ruby, you know, Ruby lays out that red dress for her or that red that red cover, and then she wears it as she's going through the house, and then she applies red makeup, but then she eventually finds the blue dress before she dies. Mm-hmm. Which so, is, I would say, when she starts embodying, like, yeah, <laughs> and he's colorblind. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so a co- I have a couple of specific scenes I want to ask you about. Um, actually, let's just do this. Like, tell me, tell me what you made of Ruby's journey, um, specifically her necrophilia scene. And then also like the end scene after they eat her and she's like digging in the garden, watering the plants and then like giving birth on the floor under the moon. Like, you know, what, what did you, what did you make of all of that? So, and see, in this, I never like to cut stuff out of movies in my head because it's not the director's vision. But there, <laughs> but there are a lot of things in this movie that I think were unnecessary to tell the tale. And it may just be because I don't get them. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm all for being uncomfortable. I mean, I've watched Martyrs all the way through. Like, I've watched some really, you know, uncomfortable things. But there was just like I didn't really find anything other than her wanting Ruby in that necro in uh, than Ruby wanting Jesse in the necrophilia scene, um, and I just I couldn't really get it. I guess mm-hmm. like a lot of those scenes with Ruby, and it's something that I I, I want to rewatch it so that I can like I feel like I don't have a really good hold over Ruby's character in those scenes mm-hmm. because I didn't really get how they fit to everything as a whole. Um, especially that birth under that moon. Like that was, yeah, that was super jarring that and was, like really, really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I'm all for, I'm all for uncom- being uncomfortable and stuff kind of shaking you in your seat. But I, I feel like there has to be a really big explicit reason to go into some of these things and having her molest a freaking corpse and, or rape a corpse actually that like that was, cause that's what she wanted to do to Jesse. Like she was effectively raping Jesse in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the birth, I just, I didn't get it. Now, now the, the lane and the grave and stuff like that, like that, I guess made sense or like you could kind of argue for it, but I don't know. It was weird. Man. I thought that the moon it scene was particularly was really jar. Well, I thought that her having sex with a dead person was super jarring and scary <laughs> and like probably maybe not unnecessary, but really explicit. And I thought that the moon scene was maybe a callback to when Jesse shares that story about her talking to the moon and falling asleep on the roof. But I didn't really understand like the whole birth metaphor or what that, I don't know. It, it was very odd. It felt very odd, but 
Um, and that, that particular scene, the moon scene kind of pulled me out of the film. Like, okay, I'm feeling stupid. I don't yeah. understand what the, the director is trying to tell me. Um, Honestly too, like, I guess now that you mention it, like thinking about the necrophilia scene, like I, I wouldn't say that it was, I guess I'm going to take back my, uh, my unnecessary comment, but like, I think he did it out of the fact. And, and I can appreciate it because I hate seeing rape in film to progress a storyline. I think it, it, it just, it, that's one of my pet peeves. I will stop watching something if that happens. And I think her doing it to a corpse was a way to get around that, that thing. And I mean, just remember Elle Fanning 16. So I think there's a lot that they couldn't do with Elle. And sure. I think he had to put, utilize these other things. I mean. See, I thought I, it, yeah. I thought it really worked thematically with what, what Ruby represented. Desperation, right? Well, yeah. I mean, even more than that, I, I, so I guess I took it. I, so I'm going to throw out my read of all of that. I I saw it. I've seen it. Tw- I've seen the film twice, and the first time was like a month ago, and I, I literally haven't stopped thinking about it since then. Like it's just kind yeah. of stayed in my head, and I've been ca- fascinated by it. So feel free to throw stones at this idea and drive it out of town. Um, but this is just sort of what where I've read with it. One, I think the end of the film went full on like witchcraft, sympathetic magic. Yes. Where all three of the women consume this virginal sacrifice for her power. And I think the film gives them her power. Um, And I think that's specifically why Sarah is able to get the part with Jack because she consumes, like Jack didn't want anything to do with her before Mm -hmm. this. And all of a sudden it's like, he notices her for the first time. I can't like, I, I would need to ask. I need no. I need to ask other people because you brought up that scene. Sarah's eye color changes, right? I thought that it might have, or maybe they just brought out more of the blue in it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, they were just striking like husky, like white, like mm-hmm. blue eyes. And then when that eyes on the floor that she picks up and eats, that is very distinctively blue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I noticed okay. that as well. I thought I was going crazy for a moment. <laughs> so. so so I read it as Sarah was able to imbibe and, and maintain and hold the power. Um, she, yeah. she was not. She was too plastic. She couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it um, and then, so with Ruby, like, again, if Ruby represents the industry, I think it matters that she was the sexual aggressor. I think, I think that scene yeah. of her, like, walking around with her shirt off, like, watering the garden was, like, a very masculine. Like, I think she's presented as. It was. Masculine. Yeah. And, and, and well, that's the last scene we see her in, right? Is, no, the birth is yeah. the last. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, okay. and so, like, I think in some way it's like, she was also like being disrupted in a different way by like by the consumption by of- the power. Yeah. yeah. Um, in a way that like her body couldn't mm. um, but it sure uh, worked digest for Sarah. it. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think with the, 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 the necrophilia scene, like that's sort of, I think his commentary on like our beauty culture, like we, we insist on objectifying real people and like he basically just was like this is what it this is what you're actually doing Mm. and 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 look at it look at it and like you should feel disgusted Mm -hmm. like it is disgusting yeah like and and, and again you're imagining a real person but you've stripped away everything human through this whole culture and this whole process and so because it does keep flashing back to jesse when she's doing that Right. And she keeps yeah. closing her eyes, and yeah, and, and so 
Um, and, and, you know, Jesse's looking longingly at her and, and seductively and all this kind of stuff. And I think he's basically saying like, you're tricking yourself. Like we're all yeah. tricking ourselves, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so the, like the disgust and the horror I felt at that scene, I transferred pretty readily onto like our beauty culture. Yeah. Thank so, you for that. So again, <laughs> cause I, I, think I mean, I thought is the way I see it. Like uh, that makes a lot of sense actually. It, it made it really affecting for me. And it was one of those scenes that I was like, yeah, this is why I like horror because it shows us things yeah. and makes us disgusted about things that maybe we should be disgusted about and horrified by. And we're just not, Yeah. you know? Yeah. See, I don't, I, I'm still confused by that scene. Cause to me, I wasn't sure if it was Ruby's way of staying important in the industry. The fact that she had been kind of spurred by this youth and she's the makeup artist, you know, and she's, she's supposed to be one of the people that maybe these new models look to for help or to be led in the right direction or advice. And the fact that she didn't want Ruby's, you know, help or didn't need it, you know, yeah. Ruby felt like she had to force herself onto her to still be important in the industry. Like I, I wasn't sure where to take that scene. And then when she was, you know, pushed away again, sexually this time, you know, it was like, she was just desperate to have that. I, I don't, that scene was weird for me. Well, it's I think it was also, weird for everyone, but <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't, well, <laughs> yeah, we have a different problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, and I think too, like um, when you think about, like I, 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 uh, I can't talk right now. Um, I obviously thought about uh, Elizabeth the Bloody, the like the the lady who used to bathe in you know virgin's blood yeah. to make herself young. Uh, that's obviously what that was a call out to. But you have like this hyper sexualized scene with Gigi and Sarah in the shower, and then you have Ruby just kind of like just laying in it, mm -hmm. like she's just there in it and kind of like. And again, I mean, watching it, it's still them. sexual because she's watching them, yeah. Um, but it's a very like it's almost um, not a surrender, but like it, it's. Okay, Gigi and Sarah are reveling in it. Like, oh my, like that that's how they're presented. Whereas it was almost like Ruby just it was a natural end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For Ruby. Like there was like, nothing nothing um sensational or interesting about what's happening. She was like, Yep. Just a means to an end. This is of. this is what happens next. Oh yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, any final thoughts about the movie before we move on to best worst? Ooh, can I just talk about Keanu? <laughs> yes, we probably should. Hey. Oh God, Keanu! I I, I love me some Keanu, but I Another hate Keanu so much in Hank. Yeah, he deserves um, and an think, Oscar because normally he's just really so Keanu, good. and he was very much not Keanu. He was scary. Oh yeah, he was gross uh, and was... scary and rough. I love that yeah. whole scene with Mickey where he's like, Mickey, come on, Mickey. Oh, do yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was definitely. Well, good. and especially when he brought up the whole like 13 year old Lolita oh, stuff, that was I was so just like, creepy. oh, oh, Ugh, so bad. Yeah. It was, and, and normally and the knife, I'm very good to play on you. But that was just, that was disgusting. Like, I, I, I don't think I can like look at Keanu the same way and John Wick 2 is coming out and I'm very I'm very sad about that 
Um, but mm-hmm. I think that means that he played the role effectively. Most like it was definitely. really good. And anybody who says that Keanu can't act needs to watch him <laughs> as Hank. Or any of his other Hotel. films. Come on now. Well, yeah. <laughs> then go but watch still. Bill and Ted and make yourself feel better about yeah. life. But even like the critique with the other films is he's this one dimensional character. Like he has the one thing that he does for the whole film. Even with like that's people's critique of him. I don't believe Are it. We talking about the same Keanu. No, no, no. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it, but that is what people usually say. And I think that anybody who get another invite back to the show. (laughs) Anybody who's a Keanu hater and makes the argument that he's only one dimensional really needs to watch this movie. I totally agree. And I think all of us are Keanu fans on this on this podcast. So we're you're in a safe place. Okay. I had to play devil's advocate for a little bit because I want I want them to turn over to the Keanu to, to the Keanu verse and just embrace it and love him because he does many things but granted maybe telling them to watch him as the pervy hotel owner isn't the best thing for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, okay so what was your favorite moment in the film or your best scare or however, however you want to answer that question the eyeball Ew. oh the eyeball <laughs> like <laughs> Just like there, there's a lot of like I mean like I mentioned that pool scene's really great, uh, the modeling. I just think overall the just when Gigi's just freaking out and like just cuts herself open and Sarah just watches and then just eats the eyeball and walks away. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh god, that just that like that ending is great. Yeah, she it was just, so like, hard. To- it's the eyeball on top of the brutality, like just sunday of what the industry is like mm-hmm. it was just commonplace like uh, her best friend dying means nothing because oh look there's another part of this like beauty that i can take and i'll go and it brings back the whole competition and you know that type of stuff so that that is just hands down my favorite part and it was a great way to end it that was also my best but it was because you know they don't show them eating her yeah. Yeah. They just show her in the pool, them walking down to her, and then them all bathing, like showering off the blood and all that. And so I'm like, and and I was like, okay, I don't need to know what they did to her. Like it was obviously graphic and horrifying. I'm okay with like I'm fine with the implication of violence, whatever. Yeah. And then and then I was like, but now I don't know where the movie's going because they had all that weird scenes with Ruby, and then it cuts to to uh, Gigi and shit, Sarah, and Sarah the girl says, "Have you ever had a girl?" take a roll from you what did you do yeah. and she's like i ate her and i was like hold on <laughs> did they yeah. really eat her and then you know uh Gigi gives her that weird look and i was like oh my gosh did they eat her what's happening and then they go to the shoot and then and then she runs off and she's like got problems with her stomach and i'm like i think they might have really ate her like <laughs> that's so messed up and then she vomits up the eyeball and i was like oh my gosh <laughs> that's the most like creative way to reveal that and like yeah. double down on the horror yeah definitely and so i just thought it was so effectively done um yeah oh <laughs> yeah I'm not. What about you, Mo? What were you, what was your favorite? Visually, still the scene when the um the photographer takes the set and puts it to all white. It was just mm-hmm. fun to watch that. Um, 
As far as the best, I think it was when, and it's still also visually beautiful, but when she's walking along that edge with the moon as the mac, or backdrop in the city behind her, and she's telling that story um, of how she felt like the moon was this giant eye in the sky that was always watching her. And it's like, I, I'm still not sure if I understand that scene fully, but just the idea that even since a child, she's been obsessed with the idea of someone watching her mm-hmm. and looking oh, at her. Yeah. And so... It, it just that was a really cool scene and with her kind of walking along the edge and it was like the city was her backdrop I, it was just uh, that was a really neat awesome scene for me i think for me and i don't know if it's just because um i really enjoy being creative and artsy with like hair and makeup and stuff but i really appreciated even though it was probably not necessary all all the times that they did it, seeing the transformation of the different models from the time when they would walk in, you know, their hair wet in a bun or whatever, and then walk out just completely transformed. Um, I thought it was really creative the way they did that. And when Elle Fanning actually adds like the glitter to her face and and all of that at the end in her final scenes. Um, yeah, I was just a really yeah. big fan of of all of that and also not a fan of it because I know that like our culture is so critical of all of that. And, you know, if you don't wear makeup, you aren't beautiful and, and all those kinds of things. But I, I, I thought it was, you know, just visually really interesting. And even the end credits, did you guys watch through the credits where they have like the different body parts being splashed with like glitter and stuff? It was very, very interesting, very visually stunning. All right. Uh, what was your worst moment in the film, or something that maybe again, either something that didn't work for you, or something that you just really didn't like? I still don't know that I understand the film well enough to have a worst. However, mm-hmm. I'm not the mountain lion was seemed the most out of place for me, and I don't know if it was just to help further set up that Keanu's character was bad, or you know that this boyfriend was willing to pay for. I I don't understand. Well, and it was a predator, right? It was a predator that could have consumed her. Like, and she left the door open for it. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, I, and I think too, like, kind of thinking about it that way. If you think of it, like the mountain lion as both Keanu and Ruby and all that, like, there's a lot of like, it was all her fault. Like, there's no other way this could be anybody's fault. Like, she did this. Gotcha. And I think it goes back to like the traditional victim victim blaming that happens when bad things happen to women. Um. So. Well, thank you for putting that in perspective. But yeah, I didn't really have like a, a terrible moment in the movie or something that didn't really work for me. I thought everything was fairly well done. Like I didn't understand the significance of like the triangles flashing in the screen. Like I get the color reference and you know there's this yeah. blue and red. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think for me that scene was too long. Yeah, the runway? Um, yeah, the yeah. runway was too long. There was... It, because I, I think the moments where she's kissing her, her kissing herself in the mirror and the transition from blue to red makes sense, but that scene was too long. It, yeah, it should have been condensed because it just kind of dragged on, and I think that it kind of pulled me out of it a little bit because yeah. the first time she starts kissing herself, I'm like, okay, I get it, and then it just keeps going right. and going. That's and right going. after that scene was actually when we paused it and then came back, so I probably <laughs> would have also felt that way had we watched it all the way through. So yeah, that's my bad. Yeah. I, but, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but I'm definitely with Mo. Like, I I don't know if I understood it enough to have <laughs> like 
a terrible, like a terrible scene or a worse scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I think I mean so I I, I generally liked most of the film. Um, the the scene I, I actually also agree that the mountain lion scene didn't it didn't super work for me. I mean I got the metaphor after I thought about it for a while, but like I just I think I was expecting more instead of just yeah. like oh there's a mountain lion in the room, I, especially I because of the feel like she just sees something moving, and you're yeah. like oh man who's in her room? <laughs> there was yeah. a mountain lion. Yeah. It was much creepier before it ended up being the mountain lion. Well, I think yes, even when it was definitely. a mountain lion, I was scared. But then it like they just shut the door, and then later he's like, "Do you know how long it took me to get it out of there?" And I was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's I guess that's it. Like, yeah. all right. Um, you know, it, yeah. I don't know that that was. So I was just kind of like, okay, huh? Yeah. So that's it." Definitely. That, that's what didn't work super great for me. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, we are about out of time for this episode. Our next episode is going to be a double feature on the Babadook and the new film Under the Shadow, which as you're listening to this episode is already available on Netflix. I think both of them are on Netflix right now. So Yes, they are. Possible. Ugh. Under the Shadow is a, a film horror film that came out this past year from Iran. And The Babadook is an Australian horror film that has some great overlaps. So we're going to watch both of those. Uh, there's a rumor that Kate might be rejoining us there. Um, we're not sure. She has requested that it be possible, <laughs> if possible. And uh, and uh, so before we go, though, Kate, would you tell us a little bit about your podcast and where people can connect with you online? Yeah, so um, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at um, oh my myth randier. It's a Lord of the Rings reference. I'm sure it'll be in the in the show notes or whatever. Um, but my podcast is actually we're about to launch our first episode. It'll be posted the 18th, and we talk about all things pop culture, and but more specifically, things that people say matter. And we just ask, but why though? So the title of the podcast is but why though. Um, awesome. We'll also be at Pack South in San Antonio um, promoting and stuff. Uh, check us out on Twitter at ButWhyThoughPC. And then we also have a website, uh, ButWhyThoughPodcast.Libson.com. Nice. Um, come check us so out. We'll, we'll put links to all of those in the show notes at Don'tSplitUp.com uh, and at Facebook.com slash Don'tSplitUp. Thank you, as always, for listening, for reviewing and rating us and sharing. Uh, please let us know what you thought of Neon Demon. Let us know all the crazy conspiracy theories we missed, uh, what you thought of the themes in the film, the characters. Uh, and until next time, whatever you do, don't split up. Join J.R., Stacia, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore. In our podcast, Don't Split Up, where we discuss horror movies and how great or not they are. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. This place is huge. No one take the back porch. Scream if you see anything. That won't be hard. But in observation of this loaded moment, I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. I will not be right back.